Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome your sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day intensive workshop for men seeking to overcome sexually addictive behaviors. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery. Your experts have over 35 years of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to be part of our next intensive coming up July 11th through the 13th. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY or visit gatewaymen.com. Welcome to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Are you ready to get real and start living each day in purity? This dynamic program is designed to educate, encourage, and equip listeners with the tools necessary for living a life of sexual purity. Pure Sex Radio brings you the best in mobile talk radio. Listen to real-life struggles, learn how to overcome lust, pornography, and sex addiction, and get serious about purity. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pure Sex Radio Broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. We've got a special broadcast for you today. And uh, next week, we're going to be sharing with you a session that I did at a conference a few years back uh, that we called Men of, Becoming a Man of Purity, Passion, and Purpose. So this will be session one on the purity aspect. Before we do that, let me just remind you that we are a listener-supported broadcast, which means all of these programs are supported by you, listeners who believe in what we're doing. So if you would like to learn about the ways that you can come alongside and partner with us, simply go to puresexradio.com and click on the Donate button. Enjoy the show. Well, guys, in this little workbook here, we're going to start out on the first session there about purity. And, you know, last night I shared with you my story. And not, although not every single man will develop a, an addiction sexually, every man will struggle with his sexuality. And I think it's so important to just acknowledge that because so many times we think, well, listen, my big, my big struggle, my big deal isn't with, isn't with sexuality. Okay, maybe you don't have an addiction, or maybe it's not something that overwhelms you, but I promise you, every guy struggles in this area. There's not a single man who's ever lived that doesn't struggle with his sexuality. And by the way, that even includes Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every way just as we are. 
sometimes I think in our struggles as men, even with our sexuality, I think in our struggles, we wonder if Christ can actually identify with us. And part of that is because we cross the line. We not only struggle, but we also then fail. And so then we go, how can, can Jesus really identify with me? And yeah, up to the point of crossing the line, he absolutely can identify with us. He knows what it's like to feel that tug of temptation, that pull to say, use your sexuality in a way that God didn't design it. And so we just, that's a premise that we all need to start from. If we're going to become men of purity, men of integrity when it comes to our sexuality, we first have to acknowledge, hey, listen, we struggle in that area. I want to share with you kind of what the, what the cycle of sexual lust looks like. This isn't rocket science, but it'll at least kind of help you understand this. And there's some blanks in your, in your workbook there that you can uh, fill out. I don't know if we have pens coming. Okay, I'll leave this up here for a while then. The first thing is a trigger or a stressor. Something that, um, that sort of presses on that place in you where your, where your lust resides. And I'll, I'll go into this in a little more detail in a minute. Then there's a ritual. So you have something that, that triggers you. There's a stressor or something that, that kind of causes you to think, I need relief. <laughs> I need some sort of uh, uh, you know, relief from this stressor. And then you go into a ritual. Then there's the actual acting out behavior, which is then followed by shame. And then that leads us to isolation and secrecy. So to give you an example... I mentioned last night that men and women are completely different, right? That also means that men and women are completely different in their sexuality. Men are generally more visually oriented and visually stimulated. You know, I've heard it said before that when it comes to sex, men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. Okay? That's sort of how our sexualities are designed. You know, we're, we're fired up like that. Whereas a woman, you know, she's got to kind of simmer for a little bit. She's got to, got to get warmed up. And so let's say the, the stress or the trigger that you feel is that you're in microwave mode and your wife hasn't even plugged the crock pot in. Okay? And you're, there's this feeling of rejection, right? You're wanting to be close. You're wanting to be sexual. And she says, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. For a lot of guys, that's too much for, for our egos to handle. And so we kind of start throwing a pity party. Well, that's actually, that can be a trigger. That can be a trigger that causes us to go into a place maybe of anger or pity party or whatever. And generally, generally, we will then move away from our spouse. And we might go into a ritual to isolate, get angry, maybe start hunting on, online, getting online and just surfing. We may not go there with the intent to find porn, but we're just, we're, we're unplugging. Hey, I just got rejected. And we go into like 12-year-old mode. And fine, I'm going to go throw my pity party. And when we do that, we gener- we'll have rituals that we do in that pity party. A lot of times those rituals are not leading us toward righteousness. Those li- rituals are usually leading us toward selfishness. And if you stay in that ritual long enough, you eventually then act out. Maybe it's looking at porn. Maybe it's masturbating. Maybe it's something that's, you know, it's the idea of saying, fine, she won't take care of me. I'll go take care of myself. And we go do that. But after that acting out, there's always a sense of shame because there's like a feeling of failure. I, I, I failed. And then usually in that feeling of, of failure, there then 
comes this sense of worthlessness. That's really what shame is attacking. Shame tries to attack the value of your identity. Who are you and what does that mean towards your value as a human being? That's what shame is trying to attack. And shame will never say you're valuable. Shame will never say you are worth the very life of the Son of God. Because that's the value that God placed on us. Which, by the way, there's nothing more valuable than that. But shame will, you know, you come in, you act out, and then shame will say, see, you call yourself a Christian. You say you're a godly husband. Other people think you're a godly husband. But look at you, you worthless piece of scum that just went and took care of things yourself. And out of then that sense of shame, we isolate. And we go into this mode of secrecy because we're too afraid of what if anybody actually knew what I just did. You certainly aren't going to think about telling your wife what you did. Because then, I mean, that creates a whole other stressor, right? And then we go through this cycle again. We feel trapped in many ways in this cycle of sexual lust. Because it just keeps driving us further and further and further into isolation and secrecy. Which is the dark, basically. When God has called us to live in the light. I'm here to tell you, it's, it's actually a painful thing to live in the light. It's a good thing, but it's a painful thing. I think too many times we think that the pathway to righteousness or the pathway to godliness is smooth and painless. And I don't know where we get that, because if you read your Bible, that's not what God says, you know. God is very clear on the fact that, listen, the pathway to righteousness is going to involve suffering is going to involve pain, part of which is the pain of having to say no to our flesh. And then there's the additional pain that when you start to grow in godliness, you are going to suffer for the name of Jesus. So there's pain whether you're doing evil or there's pain whether you're doing good. Either way, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain. I'm going to encourage you the same way Peter did. It's way better to suffer for righteousness than it is to suffer for evil. But still, there's still a pain there because at some point in time, you're going to have to open up and go, um, to break this cycle of sexual lust, I'm going to have to step out of the dark and I'm going to have to actually start being honest about this. And that is a very difficult thing to do because that's going to probably, that, can, that has the potential to become another trigger and, trigger and stressor and you've got to learn new ways to deal with that instead of going through the same old cycle over and over and over again. I want to share with you, did everybody get a pen? Okay, so I'm going to move on to the next one. I want to share with you the four pillars of purity that we use in our ministry. And that's what the one book is about all over there. It's four pillars of purity. It it only took me uh, 10 years to finally write the book. It was actually before we even started the ministry that I had a little blog, and I wrote this article, The Four Pillars of Purity. And all it is, guys, is I I just took God's biblical principles about how we are to live a life of purity, and then they just formed into these four pillars. So I'm not, I'm not going to tell you anything that the Word doesn't tell you. It's just maybe packaged a little bit different, and it's, you'll see how it really uh, can be an easy way to remember it because it spells out pure. The first pillar of purity is profess the struggle. Profess the struggle. This is what I was mentioning before. We have got to acknowledge that we're weak. And man, you know how hard that is? I don't... That's one of the reasons why when God started kind of pressing on me to say, Jonathan, I want you to tell your story, I was really resistant at first. Because the major theme of my story, pre-recovery and post-recovery, is 
I'm weak and I need help. That's not a message that we usually like to get up and proclaim real loudly. Hey, everybody, I'm weak and I need help. Especially not in this culture, right? I mean, in this culture, if you're a man, you're really only going to be honored and valued and, and respected if you got it all together, right? If you're the best at whatever you do, if you're the strongest, if you're the brightest, if you're the one that can always win, then you gain respect. I mean, we respect the John McLeans, you know, the diehard guys, the guy that can just conquer everything by himself. Unfortunately, to be a man of purity, at least the way God has designed us to be a man of purity, it has to start with an acknowledgement and an embracing of our weakness. And I, I say it specifically that way because you can acknowledge your weakness without embracing it. I think so many times we'll acknowledge it like it's this, this you know, bad pet that we're going to send over to the corner. We don't really want to have anything to do with that pet. We don't want to we don't want to do anything with it. And we'll acknowledge it. Yeah, 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 that's part of my life. That's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm weak. But we don't really want to see it as part of our whole self. You know, this gets back to what I was saying last night about how sometimes we want to say, you know, I'll, I, God saved me. And we, we, we put our presentable parts out there. We put our presentable selves, our image that we built. And we say, see, that's, that's who he really wanted. He didn't want that broken part of him. He didn't want any of that part. But did you know that God said he saved all of our being? He, he redeemed all of our being. And guess what? Eventually, this is the cool part. Eventually, there will be a redeeming even of this flesh. We will get a new body one day. He redeemed all of our being. He's saying, I want all of you. I know all the broken places. I know all the secret places. I know all the dark corners in which you have everything hidden. And he says, I'm embracing all of you. So if God is embracing all of us, including our weaknesses, he's setting the model for us to say, I'm I'm too going to embrace my weaknesses. Now, guys, I know this is really hard. It's so counter to what we think. It's so countercultural to what we think embrace weaknesses? Because then we real quickly go, well, isn't that acknowledging, or isn't that kind of saying, hey, it's okay to go fail? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have to be able to embrace our weaknesses. Guys, the weakest part of my being is lust. That's the weakest link in the chain of my being. Still today, that's the weakest link in the chain of my being. I didn't, my lust did not get reformed in recovery. It's part of my flesh. It's always going to be as depraved as it ever was from the day I was born because it's part of my sinful nature. But I don't sit here and go, oh, listen, I, I don't have any problem with lust. It's not really part of me anymore. I don't have anything to do with, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with me at all. No, you know what? In some ways, you, you kind of you keep your, your enemies a little closer. <laughs> Not so, that I can, no, not so that I can engage it, but so in the way that Paul addressed his weaknesses. You know what Paul said? I will boast in my weaknesses. But not so that he could continue failing, right? Or not so that he could continue in sin. You remember what he said? He said, I'll boast in my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
I really believe, guys, that if we are unwilling to embrace our weaknesses, we are in essence holding off the power of Christ in our lives. We are in essence saying, no, no, I got it. I mean, listen, I'm not really going to acknowledge my weaknesses. I'm okay. I've got it. And we're holding off the power of Christ. Instead, when we actually embrace our weaknesses, we are inviting the power of Christ to rest upon us. Because who, who is the only one that actually knows how to manage sexuality perfectly? Yeah, he proved it, right? He's the only human being, he's the only man that was able to prove that he could perfectly handle sexuality and all the challenges that come with it. So wouldn't it make sense to do whatever is necessary to make sure you're inviting his life to be lived through you if you really want to be a man of purity? Yeah. You want him to be living, living the life. You want him to be directing those decisions. You want his power to be moving in your life so that when you're tempted and when you're struggling, you don't cross that line of sin. So in order to do that, you need to profess a struggle and say, I'm acknowledging that I'm weak and I'm embracing my weaknesses. And then the power of Christ rests upon us. We also need to say in, in, this, in this profess the struggle, this is part of the idea of walking in the light, we need to say no to any more image building. And this is another very, very difficult part of, of the struggle. Because doesn't it feel so much easier just to tell people and show people what they want to hear? I mean, that just seems way easier, doesn't it? And it is. In the moment. In the moment, it is always easier to just show people what they want to see in you. That's always going to be the easier way in the moment. When, when the truth is pressing up against you, when the truth is pressing up against your secrets and, and, your, and the dark things that you're hiding, it's always easier in the moment to just to go, well, let me step out here and do my little song and dance and show you what you want to see. But you know what? God doesn't compromise on the truth. And this is another neat thing about the faithfulness of God, guys. You know, we often think about the faithfulness of God as far as Him walking with us through all of life, right? That He's faithful to keep walking with us. But you know what He's also faithful to do? He's also faithful to keep bringing truth up against all of our secrets and all of the ways in which we're trying to hide. That's another part of His faithfulness. He's saying, I'm not going to compromise the truth. You're my son. You're my child. And so I'm going to keep pounding this truth on this one area that you keep hiding in the closet. I'm going to keep bringing it there to give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to finally bring it into the light. And so part of that means no more image building. We are who we are. Warts and all. Brokenness and all. If God is not ashamed to call us His own and say we are His and say He loves us, then we should not be ashamed to show others who we really are. Because if you think about it, I mean, hey guys, I love you and all, but I don't really care what you think about me. Because what you think about me doesn't really matter. I mean, I don't mean that to sound harsh or anything, and I don't mean, but that's the bottom line. It doesn't really matter what you think of me. I mean, I don't want to have a horrible reputation. I mean, God does say that because we are his ambassadors, we carry his name. And so it does matter how we live in front of one another. But I'm not living for you. And so in that sense, whoever I am, I can be whoever I am. 
even if you don't like that. You know, sometimes this has been a real challenge, especially being sort of the face of a national ministry on sexual purity. There's a lot of pressure on me to show people what they want to see. I've had other, I've had other ministry leaders that have come down on me, most of them not to my face, it's to somebody else. You know, there's a lot of ministry leaders that still act like 12-year-olds and put the, you know, the note on the door. But, and a lot of times what they, the, the message will be, you know, I don't know if he's really qualified to lead a national ministry on sexual purity. Because, you know, he keeps telling about how he still struggles and how he doesn't, you know, always knock it out of the park 100% of the time. And, and how can a guy like that, you know, with integrity still say that he's going to leave this national ministry. And my response is always, what are they drinking? You know, what are they hiding? Because I haven't met a guy yet that when you get really, really deep down and honest, that doesn't say, I don't have it all together. I don't, I don't still know how to do this. I still struggle with sin. I don't get it. I don't do it perfectly all the time. And so I would rather not build an image and just be who I am and see what the power of Christ may do in that rather than continuing to try to tell everybody what they want to see and hear in me and in, in essence, stiff arm the power of Christ in my life. Because I've, I've gone on this journey long enough now to know that whenever I do that, I can't carry the load and I will fail. But if I just acknowledge and embrace my weaknesses and say I'm not going to build an image anymore, Guys, watch out. It's amazing what the power of Christ can do in your life. Think about it. The one who lived the perfect life resides in you. Why wouldn't you do whatever he says to unleash his power in your life? It's way better for everybody. Not only for you, but for whoever you're serving, whoever you're ministering to. It's way better if Christ is serving them through you than you trying to serve them on your own. So becoming a man of purity means you need to profess a struggle. You start from that place where you're not afraid of your weaknesses and you're going to be fully honest about what you're struggling with. Another pillar is understand triggers. I mentioned a minute ago about, about triggers. That's kind of what starts the cycle of sexual lust. It's some sort of trigger. And sometimes a guy scratch their head because it can be really difficult to understand why do I end up doing the things that I do? And a lot of times, guys are looking at the process way further down the road than where they need to be looking. They're looking at the behaviors that they're doing. Man, why do I keep looking at internet porn? Why do I keep masturbating? Why do I keep doing this? And they're looking at the behavior, and they're trying to figure out why they're doing that. Well, I can tell you there's a lot of steps that happen before that gets to the, the act. And so what you need to start doing, and triggers is one of those things. Triggers is usually the thing that starts setting you off in the direction of going towards those behaviors. So what I tend to ask guys to do is think in terms of what's typically going on prior to those behaviors. You know, and one helpful way to address this is just using the old Alcoholics Anonymous acronym HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I've added two more, bored and stressed. So you've got hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, and stressed. And try to think about, okay, what's generally going on before I act out in these ways? 
And you might find if you look through that list, there's one or two of those things that's pretty consistent that comes up over and over again. Like for me, tired and stressed, those are my two primary triggers. So guess what I do? I focus on making sure that I'm addressing those, that I'm not allowing my body to get too fatigued, that I'm keeping an eye on my, on my schedule and making sure that if I am you know, super booked, that I'm doing things to kind of keep my stress level manageable. Because I know that when I get too stressed and when I get too tired, my system is more vulnerable to sexual temptation. I'm not as prepared to deal with sexual temptation when those things aren't dealt with. So when you, do, when you understand triggers, you can start to look at the ways in which you're kind of wired and the way that temptation has generally attacked you in those areas and begin to address those areas, acknowledging that, that the power of Christ may rest on you in those areas. And you're kind of, in a sense, you're sort of pushing the horizon of trouble back. You know, a lot of times in our lives, we, get, we feel like we're drowning. We feel like things are just right on top of us all the time. We go, why is this happening? And a lot of it is because we're not living very aware lives. We're not very self-aware you know, the Bible actually tells us in many different locations to examine ourselves. We need to remember. We need to take a look at certain things. We need to, um, you know, uh, Paul even says in Galatians 6 that, you know, we need to be able to take a look at ourselves because each one's going to have to carry his own load. Which is interesting because that's the exact same passage where he says, bear one another's burdens. But I'm not going to get off into that. But we've got to be able to look at ourselves and say, where am I weak? And what are the ways in which I'm generally triggered? And how can I begin to work on that? Now, here's the paradox. The paradox is this. I never tell a guy to try to make his weaknesses strong. Guys, that's futile. I mean, it is. That's too hard. I haven't been able to do it. Weaknesses are weaknesses because they're weaknesses. (laughs) I don't try to get strong in the area of lust. That's my weakness. Instead, what I try to do is I try to say, I want to fully acknowledge and embrace that weakness, again, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's part of understanding our triggers. You need to actually know where those weaknesses are. Because it's not always the behavior. It's usually something a little bit deeper and behind the behavior, like one of these triggers. Another thing, too, about triggers... Yeah, halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And then I've added bored and stressed. So those are kind of the, the triggers. Also, under this whole heading of understanding triggers, this is where you really... You've got to do a lot of emotional work. And, you know, this sometimes freaks guys out because they go, whoa, emotional work. Isn't that like girl talk? No. Emotional work is saying, listen, you're an emotional being. And every single one of you in this room, you've got wounded at some point in life. And I can pretty much guarantee that every single one of us in this room got wounded somewhere in our childhood. Whether it was through a trauma or whatever. There are wounds in our lives. And here, you know what's interesting to me is every single guy that I've worked with that's developed a full-blown sexual addiction, it's fascinating to me how common it is that there's a one-to-one connection 
between the ways in which they have learned to act out in their sexual addiction and some of their original wounding that they had as a child. Guys, a lot of times we don't understand some of these underlying things that are going on in our emotional selves and our wounded self that then when we try to fill and and heal those wounds through illegitimate means, we end up getting involved in the very thing that wounded us. This is why a a lot of people who were abused as children, sexually, physically, whatever else, end up becoming an abuser in adulthood. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Because usually when a child is being abused, when they get old enough to understand that, they're like, I am never going to do what they did to me, right? And yet, before long, they are doing the very thing that was done to them. And so part of understanding triggers is also understanding your wounds. You need to be able, this is where counseling can really help, to be able to get in there and say, what are the things that, that have that traumatized me in life? What are the things that maybe I've tucked so far away, so far back that I've sort of pushed them out to the edges, that I don't want to deal with them, but yet they are still affecting my life today? Well, that's all the time we have for this week's program. We look forward to seeing you back here again next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.